want to go ahead and read our scripture text for today uh, here in just a second. Then we'll, I'm just going to expound on it for just a few minutes afterwards. Uh, but our scripture is going to come out of the book of Philippians. And this was a letter, this was an epistle written to the church at Philippi uh, by, the, by the Apostle Paul. And uh, what's interesting, among other things, about this particular book or in passage is that Paul wrote this letter to the uh, Philippian church while he was still in jail. And uh, I don't know if you guys know this or not or recognize this or not, but as a matter of fact, the vast majority of Paul's writings that we have in the New Testament, he wrote from jail somewhere. As a matter of fact, a great portion of the New Testament itself consists of letters that Paul wrote from behind bars. Just think about that for a second, because that, that just... That, 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 that strikes me as something pretty awesome. Has it ever occurred to us that Paul, that God, utilized Paul to write the sacred scriptures of Christianity that have existed now for over 2,000 years, the ones that the Church of Jesus Christ has relied on for 2,000 years? Years while he was behind bars somewhere. Do you think, church, that God cannot use you in whatever circumstances you are in at this moment to build his kingdom, to be a disciple of Christ, to do something incredible, to do something crazy? for God's church, something remarkable, something long-lasting. He used a man in prison to write the most sacred scriptures in all of religion today. I just think that's pretty neat. I think that's pretty cool. That's just a little, just a little side note. That has absolutely nothing to do with, with my sermon today. But anyway, he writes this letter to uh, the Philippian church as basically a means of encouragement. The Philippian church, kind of, they had their ducks in the row, so to speak. And he was just writing to, uh, to encourage the church in a number of ways. Like we talked, we talked about this idea of many, many times at Bemis United Methodist. One of, the reasons, one of the ways he wants to encourage the church is he wants to encourage them to live as citizens of God's kingdom. How many times have y'all heard me use that phrase over the last number of months? He wants to encourage the church at Philippi just as he wants to encourage the church today to live into the kingdom of God to live first and foremost as citizens, not of this earthly kingdom, but as citizens of God's kingdom on earth. He wants them to grow in their discipleship towards Jesus Christ or of Jesus Christ, and he wants them to grow in their commitment and in their service, not only to God, but to one another, which is what we're going to see here in these scriptures. Let's read them real quick, starting in verse uh, 5. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. In your relationships with one another, Paul writes, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, by becoming obedient to death, 
even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place, and he gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Y'all can go home now. What an, what an awesome portion of Scripture, man. What an awesome portion of Scripture. Two things, two words jump out to me as I read these Scriptures. Um, those words are humility and service. Humility and service. That's what, those are the ideas, those are the themes that jump out to me when I read the words of Paul here, when I read his directive here to the church at Philippi. The apostle, go back to verse 5 if you don't mind, Lorelai. He starts off this section of scripture here in verse 5 with this sentence. He says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. I want to break that down just a second. In your relationships with one another. Remember, he is writing this not to an individual, but he is writing it to a church. He says, this is what I'm about to tell you guys. This is what this is. This is this is the directive I'm getting you, giving you. This is this is the encouragement I'm giving you, in your relationships with one another, in your relationships with your brothers and sisters in Christ, in relationships with your brothers and sisters in your local church. Daryl Wood, in your relationship with Sandy Hudson, Rudy Coop, in your relationship with Donnie Smith, Al, in your relationship. With Mr. Evan over here, he's talking to us. This is us Paul is talking to. And he is specifically addressing, addressing our relationships with our brothers and our sisters. Okay? Our relationships with our brothers and our sisters and how we approach these relationships. How do we approach them? Have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, first and foremost. Because Jesus is our supreme authority. Jesus is our, not only our supreme authority, Jesus is also our supreme example. He is our supreme teacher. The way Jesus thinks, the way Jesus talks, the way Jesus acts, the way Jesus treats people in his relationships with one another. In your relationships with one another, church, start off with the same mindset that is in Christ Jesus. And we're about to see in just a second what that mindset is. But I want to point something else out to you that's kind of interesting. This, and this is just kind of a this is kind of a little bit of an instruction on how to read, how to read your Bible and why your why your Bible does what it does sometimes. Uh, y'all grab that. If you don't have a Bible with you, grab, grab um, grab your few Bible real quick and turn over to this passage. I'm going to show you something. Philippians 2, 5 through 11. We're going to be looking at 6 through 11, actually. Rudy, you got a Bible? I know, I know you got a Bible, Rudy. It ain't yours, but anyway, that's all right. Y'all got it? So look there at verses 6 through 11, and don't, you, don't, you don't even have to read them, but is there somebody who doesn't have a few Bible that's using a different one? Seriously, y'all don't bring those Bibles to church? 
okay, Heather's, Heather's does not do this, but that's okay. In most of the Bibles, when you read, most Bible translations, when you read this portion of Scripture, will you note, can you notice how this particular section of Scripture 6 through 11 is kind of set aside a little bit differently than the others? It's not printed out like it's in complete sentences. It's, it's written out a little bit differently. It's indented somewhat. <clears throat> it kind of looks like maybe, maybe like you would write a piece of prose or a piece of poetry or maybe even a stanza out of a hymnal. <clears throat> there's, two, there's, there's a number of reasons. You see this throughout the Bible, by the way. <clears throat> there's a number of reasons um, that Bible translations often do those, and it's to draw attention to them. One reason the Bible translations do those, or will do those, is when the Scripture is quoting another Scripture. Uh, for example, when a New Testament Scripture is quoting a Scripture out of the Old Testament, it'll oftentimes print them like that, so you know that it's that it's a it's 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 a quote basically from another source. In this case, and there are other cases in the Bible that do this. The reason that it looks like poetry or that it looks like prose or that it looks like a stanza out of a hymnal is because that is precisely what most people believe that it is. Most people believe that these sec this section of Scripture, verses 6 through 11, are an early hymn of the Christian church that Paul is quoting directly to drive home his point. It would have been a hymn that the church at the time would have been fam very familiar with. And Paul uses that familiarity with these words to drive home the point that he is getting at as to the nature of Christ, the character of Christ, having the mindset of Christ and who he was. I just think that's interesting. I think that's interesting to tell people uh, because it's something that we generally don't think about. We just, we just see these words that are indented and we just read them and we move on. This is because Paul is quoting something, and there's a reason that he's quoting it. Again, it would have been that probably that familiarity that the church had with it and that he was able, able to drive his point home with. So basically, he uses those verses from that early Christian hymn to instruct the church and to instruct us today how we mirror, how we reflect the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Read 6 through 8 again real quick. Jesus, who being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on the cross. How does Jesus model the attributes that we are called to embrace in our relationships with one another according to Paul according to these verses humility and service humility and service I want you to take in those ideas look who Paul is saying Jesus was look at his mindset it is absolutely smothered with the idea of humility it is absolutely drenched with the idea of service. Service to whom? In Jesus' case, of course, service to God, but also service to humanity. Look at the extent of what Jesus does for humanity. 
through his humility and through his sense of service. I want you to take in those words and, and understand that, and I want, you to, I, I want you to think about how it is that you, how it is that I, how it is that we can love and how we can serve each other <laughs> with that same mindset of humility and service that Jesus models, that Jesus gives to us. Also, particularly, you know, during this week, during this week as we lead up to Easter, you know, I'd like you to take in these verses and understand who Jesus is. Not just what he does, which is awesome, but who he is and the fullness, the fullness of what he did on that Easter weekend, starting with Good Friday, culminating with Easter Sunday, with Resurrection Sunday. Because these words are deep. There is a lot of depth in these words. Not only do they reveal the character of God, the character of Jesus, the humility of Jesus, the service-oriented nature of Jesus. They reveal to us the fullness of what he actually did and what he actually accomplished on that Easter, that Easter weekend. Who is Jesus? Who is this Jesus? Our scriptures tell us first and foremost, and y'all may have noticed me change my inflection when I read this verse because it's just such an awesome verse to me. Who is Jesus? Jesus is God. Maybe that's not a revelation to most of y'all. But that's something everybody in the church needs to understand. Jesus is God, and I'm not just telling you that. I'm not just making up some, something. It's right there in our scripture. Who, being in very nature... What? God. Jesus is fully divine, folks. He wasn't just a man. He was a man, but he wasn't just a man. He wasn't just a great philosopher. He wasn't just a great teacher. He wasn't just some dude that died alongside a couple other murders, murderers on a cross. Jesus was fully, is, is fully God fully divine. Jesus has always existed. Okay? Alongside the creator God. It's this idea that we always that we have in the church that's existed for thousands of years. We call it the doctrine of the Trinity. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. God in three persons. Jesus. Fully God. Fully divine. Created. But has always been in existence alongside the Father. Thank you, Kevin. Who is Jesus? Secondly, Jesus is the epitome. He is the absolute perfection of the concept of humility. Again, verse 6 and 7 says this. Keep in mind that God, that Jesus is divine, that he is God. This in mind when you read this verse, when, when you take this in, when you read these words of who Jesus is, the character of God, the character of Christ, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of what? A servant being made in the form of a man, being made in human likeness, he, being found in appearance as a man, 
He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. He didn't use his divinity to his own advantage. He didn't use his closeness to God to his own advantage. Instead, what did he do? He changed into us. <laughs> the divine God made the decision to take on the human form. That's the man that we know as Jesus. Jesus, who is both fully God and also was fully man at the same time. Jesus could have done anything he wanted to do. He could have sat up there, wherever there is, with God and said, forget it, let's just let them make light. They made their bed, let them lie in it. I'm God, I don't have to do this. That's not what happened. That's not what he did. Humility, service-oriented, love-oriented nature of Christ says, no, I'm going to make myself a human being. Not only am I going to make myself a human being, I'm going to give myself the nature of a servant. I'm going to wrap myself in humility. That humility that eventually leads him to death on the cross. Which is what we're reminded of during this Easter week. Why did he do that? He did that to take on our sins. He did that to take on the sins of humanity so that we might have that reconciled, that right and that justified relationship with God that we talked about last week. Paul gives us some great, just some absolutely wonderful theological insight in these short verses about the nature of Jesus, which, by the way, is also the nature of God, because you can't separate the two. For some reason, I've never understood why people want to make Jesus' nature, Jesus' character different than the nature of God. It doesn't work like that. <laughs> God is God is God, folks. What you see in Jesus, that's, why, that's one of the reasons we've got the doggone New Testament. That's one of the reasons that Jesus came to earth besides the cross and the ascension was to reveal the nature of God because everybody thought they knew what God was, who God was. They thought they knew his character. Jesus came to reveal the character of God. Wonderful, wonderful theological insight into the nature of God. It's that same nature, that same nature of humility, that same nature of service that encourages, that we are encouraged to take upon us in our relationships, particularly with those in the body of Christ. Really for everybody, but especially for, for each other here. Taking on that nature of Christ. Putting on the mind of Christ in our relationships. Verses 9 through 11 confirm everything that I have just talked about. Verses 9 and through 11 confirm Jesus' kingship and Jesus' lordship over all of creation. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and he gave him the name that is above every name that at the name at the at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is lord to the glory of God the father these short verses 
provide us the truth of Christianity. In essence, in summation, what that basically means is that Jesus is who he says he is. Jesus is who the church has always said he is. It is the truth of Christianity. A lot of folks don't like to hear that truth. There was a time in my life where I didn't like to hear that truth. But the ultimate truth of Christianity is right there. Jesus is who he says he is. He is who the church has always says said he is. And we claim this. We own this. This is the message that we take out to non-believers. Not out of a sense of arrogance. Christianity is not about arrogance. It's not about developing a posture of we're better than you are. We take this message of Jesus Christ as Lord and King of all creation because we love the same world, the same people, just as God Christ first loved us. If we approach the world from a posture of arrogance because of our Christianity, we are approaching it with the wrong mindset, with the wrong heart, with the wrong motivation. But we do own the truth. We do own the truth, and it's a truth that's worth telling. It's a truth that's worth telling over and over and over again for the good of humanity, for goodness sakes. We don't share this truth to hurt people. We share this truth for the good of humanity and for the glory of God and for the, for the, for the glory of God's kingdom, his kingdom on earth. I'm gonna, Kevin, y'all come on up, brother. <clears throat> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to take it. I'm going to assume that the vast majority of people here have accepted that truth. Most of you I know on a personal level, so <clears throat> I believe most of you have. <clears throat> if you have not accepted that truth, I'm going to invite you to do that today. That Jesus is Lord. I could not sum up the gospel any better than that. From, his, from, the prof, from the prophecies of the Old Testament to Jesus' birth, to his life, to his teachings, to his death, to his resurrection, and to his ascension. Summed up in three words, Jesus is Lord. There is no other. All roads do not lead to God. All paths do not lead to God. It's a truth. That's, that's, that's something a lot of folks have accepted. All paths do not lead to God. Jesus leads to God. And I promise you, if you accept that truth, if you accept that truth, you're going to experience the things that many of us here have already experienced. It's, it's, it's a peace unlike, unlike any other. So if you haven't done that, if you haven't accepted that truth, I invite you to do it today. I invite you come to the altar for any reason you might have if you, if you have a need to pray, if you'd like me to pray for you, just indicate that to me by raising your hand. Uh, whatever you need may be, the altar altar's open.